Uh, welcome to you all. It's good to be with you. My name is Trevor. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to John chapter 16. That's where we'll be this morning in John chapter 16. We have been walking through the, the gospel of John sort of every uh, winter spring. We, uh, right after Christmas time, we've been walking through the gospel of John and verse by verse examining what it is that God would want to say to us through this book, not skipping over the difficult parts, and there have been some difficult parts. If you were here a few weeks ago, you know, we talked about uh, the challenge of Jesus telling his disciples that they are going to be hated and, and why that's hard for us to sort of think about and to talk about today. And last week was about the Holy Spirit, which I know if you are in a community group led to some conversations about the Holy Spirit, which I think are good and hopefully fruitful we are, if, if, you're, if you're just joining us and you're new, um, or if you've been with us for a little while, we're at the, in the Gospel of John towards the end of the Gospel. We're at the point where Jesus is less than 24 hours, he's real close at this point actually, to uh, going to the cross. And so he has been speaking with his disciples and giving them, they've already had a meal together, he's washed their feet, he's giving them some teaching. And this, this text really functions as a sort of graduation speech. In a couple of weeks from now, maybe a couple of months from now, you'll see graduation speeches pop up all over the country where commencement speakers will come in and stand before students and give them some imparting words before they make that transition out of college and into the world. And uh, this, this teaching of Jesus is sort of his graduation speech. He's been with his disciples for a few years and he has been preparing them for him leaving. So he's ready to leave and he's giving them some words that they are to hold on to. And, and so this text we'll look at tonight are sort of the final words that he's going to give them. And then next week Jesus is going to be praying and we're going to get to listen in on Jesus' prayer life, which will be instructive for us. So this morning we will wrap up John chapter 16. And again, if you have a Bible, we'll be in John 16, verses 16 through the end, verse 33. There is a children's book that you may or may not be familiar with. It doesn't, from the title, sound like the kind of book you'd want to read to children. And that is, the book is called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. How many of you, by show of hands, have read this book? Okay, good, a good number of you. It's a pretty popular children's book where the titular character, Alexander, has a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And it's a children's book, a book we read to kids, at least in part because we are trying to help children understand that having a bad day is not foreign to the human experience. It is very much a part of the human experience. Every single one of us has terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Some of us have had terrible, horrible, no good, very bad weeks or months or the all-encompassing word, seasons. Right? We use that word, it's been a tough season. And when someone says, it's been a tough season, I never know if they're talking about the last few days or the last few years. Tough seasons. The disciples, when they are being uh, in, interacting with Jesus in the text we'll look at in a moment, are having a very tough evening. Jesus has said he's going to leave them. And for, him, for them, he has been everything to them. 
And he has said he is going away. He has told them, just last week he told them, hey, a time is very soon coming when people are going to want to kill you and they're going to want to do it thinking that somehow they are doing it for God. You're going to be hated and you're going to be alone. Jesus has told them these things and you can imagine how much is weighing on them. Now, in the midst of it, don't worry, he's made them promises. He will be with them by way of his spirit. But on the whole, there's not much for them to be excited about. And yet, Jesus, in the text we're going to look at today, is going to speak to his disciples, who are having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad evening, and he's going to tell them that joy is available. Amen. Joy is available even in the midst of our tough seasons. And some of you need to hear that this morning. They needed joy and some of you here this morning need joy. Maybe your finances are incredibly tight and you're not sure how you're going to make it next month. Maybe your marriage is in a difficult place. And you're not entirely sure if you're going to be able to endure this season and stick it out. Maybe you're experiencing the weight of loneliness that has been building up month after month for the last few years. Maybe you're experiencing stress and anxiety and depression. Maybe your health is not going so great. Maybe you're concerned about retirement. Maybe you've got strained relationships. Maybe you're looking around wondering if the last few decisions you made were the right ones. Well, if that's you this morning, Jesus has a word from you for you. And we're going to listen to that word in the midst of the wind. So if you've got a Bible, John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. We'll read the whole text and then we will spend a few moments walking through it. This is Jesus' final words, his graduation speech, if you will, to his disciples. Chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean? By saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then a little after while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more? And then after a little while, you'll see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, 
Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're clearly speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. What a great final speech that Jesus gives. Let's spend a few minutes walking through this text and just drawing out. There's a hundred things we could draw out. Today we're going to look at three. First, a principle. Then, a promise. And finally, a position. So if you're taking notes, it's first, a principle. Then, a promise. And lastly, a position. In verses 16 through 19, the disciples are confused. Jesus, as he's given his final speech to them, they aren't quite sure what's going to happen. And then Jesus, in verse 20, says something. He says that you will grieve and that the world will be celebrating, but your grief will turn into joy. Will turn to joy. Here's the principle. This is the first thing I want to talk about this morning. The principle. Here's a principle to understand. God brings joy by transformation, not by mere consolation. Let me repeat that. God brings joy by transformation, not by mere consolation. In verse 21, Jesus illustrates this principle because he tells the story of a woman giving birth. Now, again, I have been in the room when four children have been born, all for my own children. Hopefully, obviously, right? And the beauty of those moments are remarkable. It is really my wife who has had to endure the pain. And here's the truth of birth that I think we know, but I want you to see 
because Jesus uses birth as his illustration. It's this. The same baby that causes the pain is the baby that brings the joy. The same baby that caused the pain causes the joy. In birth, it's not something else that brings the joy. In birth, you don't experience labor pains, and then there's a different thing. You're not give, it's not, you, don't get a, you don't get a nice meal after giving birth that that's the joy. No, the same, the same baby that brings the pain causes the joy. When we had our first child, Zoe, I'd never seen my wife in so much pain. I wasn't ready for it. She was in so much pain that I remember uh, her looking at me and saying, go ask for the epidural. I need the epidural like now. And I remember sticking my head and looking at the nurses in the hallway and saying, hey, my wife needs, you know, the epidural. And they're looking at me sort of going, sir, I know this is a tough day for you. For us, this is Tuesday. <laughs> Hold your horses. So I walked back in and said to my wife, you know, my wife is just like, so where are we at with the epidural? She was in so much pain. And I said, they're coming. She's like, you got to get them to come more quickly. And so I stick my head back out and I'm like, if anything you could do. And they said, sir, be patient. It'll be there when it, when it gets there, right? And I remember when the anesthesiologist came in, I would have given him anything for that needle to go into my wife's back, right? I would have been like, anything you could do. I'll empty out my savings account for this moment because she was in so much pain. And then we had the baby, and it was we were overwhelmed with joy when Zoe was born. Overwhelmed with joy. And it was like two seconds after that my wife said, I want to do that again. <laughs> and I just remember, I remember thinking, childbirth must give short-term memory loss. Because I remember what just happened. And clearly you don't, which is an insane thing to say, given that I experienced none of the pain. But it was like, in childbirth, it was like all this pain and then all this joy. And it was the baby that caused the pain that brought the joy. God brings joy through transformation, not just commiseration, right? Not just by comforting us. God does comfort us. Make no mistake, God comforts us. But it's not just consolation, it's transformation. Let me, let me unpack this more. When a child is unhappy, something sad happens in their life. As a parent, you should console them. Of course you should. But sometimes with children, our tendency is when our children go through a difficult moment is to rush by distracting them with something else. Oh, you had a tough day? Here's a new toy. Oh, you had a bad experience? Let's get you some ice cream. Too quickly, we can move from cons consoling them to then distracting them from the difficulty. We can replace the difficulty thing, the difficult thing with a happy thing. And let me tell you, if you do that every time, what you will teach a child 
is that pain is the great obstacle in life, that it ought to be avoided at all costs, that you ought to distract yourself from all pain, and they will never, ever get a gym membership. Right now, as we gather, the LA Marathon is taking place. I've never run a marathon. I don't know that I ever will. How many of you have run a marathon before? By show of hands. Okay, heroes. You're a hero, Gene. That's incredible. Running a marathon is incredible. It's so, if you ask people, is it worth it? Everybody I've ever asked has said yes. And you'll ask them, why was it worth it? And they'll say, because you put yourself through so much pain, and then at the end, you get a medal. You get a reward. You get this thing, and you realize it's not just the reward. It's actually going through the trial that makes it all ultimately worth it. What I want you to understand is that Seeing your pain and your difficulty as an opportunity to transform you, that transformation is the way of maturity. Whereas distraction and substitution, if that's all you have, that's the way of immaturity. Jesus does not say that the disciples' sorrow will be replaced by joy. He says it will be turned into joy. Because the baby that causes the pain caused the joy. Here's what I want you to understand. The thing that's painful in your life right now will not always be painful. And because Jesus sits on the throne, the thing, you're in, the thing that's causing pain right now in your life, one day, I promise, one day, you will be thankful for. And that is the promise that God has for us in this passage. God takes difficult situations and transforms them. Joseph in Genesis is sold into slavery. When his brothers come before him, what does he say to them? Joseph says to his brothers, the thing you meant for evil, God meant for good. In the, in the Old Testament, Egypt persecuted the Jewish people. And as Egypt persecuted them, God transformed that persecution into prosperity for his people. Saul set out to kill David, and it ended up making him more of a man of God. And Jesus went to the cross on Good Friday and turned it into a resurrection. In verses 16, Jesus is he's talking about his resurrection, and the disciples are confused. He's talking about his resurrection. The world is going to celebrate his death, but he wants them to know a resurrection is on the horizon. Do you notice that that's why we wear crosses as Christians? We don't wear crosses. We, we could have, someone could have said, the symbol for Christianity is going to be like a, a little empty room. We're going to carry little empty caves, little maybe moving stones as charms that you could get, right? We could do that. We don't do that. We wear crosses in part because what we, where we see the cross, where we see suffering and death and pain, we also see victory and triumph and redemption. Some of you need to be reminded this morning, in the midst of your struggle, as you're waiting for God to transform your pain, that your pain might seem long. Your, your pain might feel like being, being in the dentist 
The, de the dentist is horrible, right? There's no other place where I'm counting down seconds than at the dentist when I hear that high-pitched drill, right? Just sort of cringing, waiting for that pain to pass. So for some of you, you are in a difficult season in your marriage, in your family, in your life, at work. All that's happening. I want you to know Jesus says that while childbirth seems long, the baby brings joy. While they will be filled with sorrow, that sorrow will turn to joy. In The Lord of the Rings, which is an amazing book, great movies, but great book, there's a moment where a character named Sam Gamgee, one of the great loyal heroes in all of uh, uh, fiction. And Sam sees uh, Gandalf. And Gandalf is returned. And Sam asks this question of Gandalf. He says this beautiful thing. He says, does this mean that all sad things will come untrue? I want you to hear that question. He doesn't say, will all happiness come true? He said, will all sad things come untrue? And the answer in the Bible to that question is yes. All sad, difficult things will ultimately come untrue. So I'm inviting you to believe Jesus this morning and to believe that God will transform your sorrow. And no one will be able to take it away when he transforms it into joy. Brothers and sisters, if you have Christ, you are forgiven, you are justified, you are adopted, you are filled, you are secure. And the difficult thing you're facing, God isn't just going to replace it, he's going to turn it into joy. Somebody here this morning needs to believe that the difficulty they're facing is going to be turned into joy through transformation. Can we believe Jesus in that this morning? Can I get an amen? We need that this morning. Secondly, a promise to believe. So we talked about a principle to understand now, a promise to believe. In verses 23 through 28, this section is all about prayer. And Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. Now, in the text, Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to ask me questions no more because all of your big questions will be answered. But there's time a coming, a time's coming when you're going to ask the Father. You're going to ask him in prayer. And, and, and when you do that, he is going to meet all of your needs. Second, this is the promise. The promise, according to Jesus, is that your heavenly Father loves you. He hears your requests and will meet all of your needs. When Jesus was with his disciples, he met all of their needs. And now that he's going to the Father, he's going to tell them that they can now go to the Father and the Father will meet all of their needs. This is the wonderful privilege of prayer. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, this morning, that the Father loves you? He hears every pray that you, every prayer that you've prayed, and He promises to meet all of your needs. Jesus has modeled prayer throughout the Gospel of John, and next week in John 17, he'll continue to pray, and we'll listen into that. He emphasized prayer, and he taught prayer, and he made it clear that prayer is essential. 
The early church in Acts depended on prayer. We see that in them. But Jesus sees joy in prayer, and it comes by way of asking the Father, and the Father will give to you. But when you're asking, you're always asking in Jesus' name. Here's the interesting thing about that. God, as you have already learned, is not a genie. He does not grant three wishes. Our prayer lives are not simply or merely about asking God to give us just the things that we want. Jesus says this thing very clearly, which is, when we pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Jesus, in your name, we ask you to help us to hear what you want us to hear in this text this morning. Back in the day, there was no way of being able to verify easily or quickly if you were speaking on behalf of a king. There was no internet, there was no phone call, there was no mail system. So if you arrived somewhere and you asked for something in the name of the king, if you use the name of the king, that person is likely to give you that thing. They're likely to grant that request, believing that you are speaking in the name of the king. Now, if you're a king and you find out that there's someone going around asking for things in your name that you did not tell them to ask for, you're likely to be very unhappy with that person. Things don't turn out well when you are using the king's name for your own personal benefit, when you're misusing or misrepresenting the king. So when someone says, hey, I'd like 500 horses, and I'm asking in the name of this faraway king, you're trying to figure out, should I do it? If they're doing it in the name of the king, you're thinking, well, okay, I'm going to, maybe they have a seal, maybe they have some sort of documentation, maybe you're just taking their word for it. But asking in the name of the king and not having the backing of the king is asking for trouble. You would never use the king's name for merely your own benefit. There's nothing that we can ask for in prayer that should be only and totally and completely self-centered. That's how we check ourselves to make sure that when we're praying in Jesus' name, that we are asking for the kinds of things that God would desire to give his people. If you want to pray prayers that are powerful, you should always be asking for the things that you know Jesus would want. So the king never says, go, just use my name and start asking for the kinds of gifts and toys that you just want. No, the king has a mission. The king has a vision. The king sends you as a representative to ask in his name. In this case, Jesus is teaching us that we go to our heavenly father who loves us in prayer and we ask for things in the name of Jesus, meaning we pray the kinds of prayers that would want to align with the mission of Jesus. It means going to God and saying, God, can you do this? 
God, can you, can you bring about the things we know you want to bring about? That's how we ask. That's how we beg. It means, it means praying this prayer. You can pray this prayer with confidence. God, give me everything I need to accomplish everything you want me to accomplish. Because God has a mission for you. He has a mission he's on. And he wants you to be a part of what it is that he's doing in the world. He wants to use you and fill you and send you and care for you. But sometimes you're saying, God, help me to do this. And God is saying, no, because I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. And so what we must desire more than anything else is for God's will to be done in our lives and for God's plans, we, we must want them more than we want our own plans. I want you to see that God wants to invite you on his mission in the world. He wants you to be a part of it. He has made you. He has formed you. He has gifted you. He is sending you. He, he wants that to be a, a part of your life. And our prayers in the name of Jesus mean going to our heavenly father who loves us, who hears our prayer and saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, give me everything I need to do what you want me to do in the world. And he promises that he will. He promises to give you everything you need. And that is a joy. Friends, family, do you understand that your father loves you, knows you, cares for you, and seeks to give you everything you need for his mission in the world? The question that faces us, if we're honest, is do we really want God's mission or do we want our own? Some of you are very unhappy, and one of the, key, the reasons you're unhappy is you're wrestling with God over whose mission you're seeking to fulfill in the world. And some of you need to this morning say before the Lord, God, I want what you want for me more than I want what I want for me. And you pray that prayer, and God will begin to do amazing things in your life. So that is the promise. Third and finally... A position to claim. Now the disciples in verses 29 through 30, they all of a sudden they think they've understood everything. And they were presumptuous. They were weak. They don't understand that the next 24 hours for them are going to be very difficult. They're going to fail Jesus. Because you can have a lot of faith in Jesus and still fail him. You can, you can have some understanding but still fail. They're about to go through it, and Jesus gives them some insight. And then in verse 33, he says the most amazing thing. He says, in this world you will have trouble, sorrow, grief, difficulty. But then he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He says, in me you will have peace. In the world you will have trouble. And in Christ, in him, you can overcome the world. Now, I want you to notice something. In verse 33, Jesus is not giving an example to the disciples. When he says, I have overcome the world, he's not saying, I've overcome the world. Now, you go do what I did, and you will also overcome the world. 
The, the summer between my eighth grade year and my freshman year, there was another kid who was about the same age as me who also played basketball. And I was a, a big basketball player in high school. That guy was my sport of choice. After my eighth grade year, I became a freshman, and uh, this, this kid that I went to school with named Johnny, same height as me, uh, kind of about the same. We were very similar. We showed up, and all of a sudden, he could dunk a basketball which is something I could not do. I couldn't even touch the rim. And so we all gathered together from summer, and we were messing around, and then he just dunked a basketball. And after he dunked it, I remember he looked, and he was like, see, just do that. You can do that. Just do what I did. And I was like, no. There's not a chance. I, I have a trouble touching the rim. And so I was incredibly discouraged because even though he was like, just do what I did. Like, just do the thing I did. Sometimes we have people in our lives who go, oh, your life is difficult? Just do what I did and everything's going to be great. And it doesn't lead to greater encouragement or empowerment. It actually makes you feel defeated. When Jesus says, I have overcome the world, he's not saying, just do what I did. He's not giving us an example to follow. He's giving us a gift. And here's the gift, he says. He says, if you are in him, then his overcoming becomes your gift. He's not an example to follow. It's a gift to receive. It's a gift for us. If we are in him, the gift of overcoming the world is available to us. Not by his example, but by his grace. The old pastor and preacher George Morrison <clears throat> once defined peace this way. He said, peace is the possession of adequate resources. Peace is the possession of adequate resources. Think about it. If you have all the resources you need you have peace. If you're running a business and you don't have capital, you don't have the resources, you don't have those things, you don't have peace. You've got a lot of anxiety. Peace is adequate resources. And here's the beautiful thing. If you are in Jesus, you have all the resources you need. What are those resources? Jesus says, it's me. In yourself, you do not have the resources for what you're facing. In me, you have everything. In yourself, you have nothing. This morning, let me ask you the question. Are you overcome by the world? Or do you see that in Christ you have the gift of being an overcomer? You may not feel it. But you must receive it. It's yours. The world wants to overcome us. The world wants us to conform. When we yield to Christ, we become overcomers. In Christ, we are overcomers. In Christ, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. In Christ, our joy cannot be taken away. In Christ, we have all that we need. In Christ, we are secure forever. In Christ, we are washed and cleansed. In Christ, we are chosen and adopted. In Christ, we will be glorified. In Christ, we have everything we need. And he has overcome the world. And if we are in him, we have too. Amen?
I need you all to believe that. Because life is difficult. And you need to understand that your difficulty doesn't get the last word. Christ does. He has overcome the world. He has come to set us free. He has come to pay the price. He came to live and die and rise again so that every person who believes in him would be set free from their sin and would know the beauty of transformation and the joy that is available in Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you don't know freedom and you don't know joy, let me tell you, it's not found in you this morning. You've tried that. You've tried to manufacture it. You've tried to work it. You've tried to examine it from all the angles. You've tried to solve the problem. You've tried more purchases. You've tried more pleasure. You've tried more moves. You've tried new job shifts. You've tried more money. And, and you've tried everything. Let me tell you this morning, if you don't have joy, if you don't have freedom, if you don't have liberation, if you don't have security, if you don't have those things, let me tell you, they're not a fantasy. They're real. They're just found in Christ. And he offers them to you this morning. So here's the principle. God transforms our sorrow into joy. But we can't experience that apart from prayer. God promises that he loves us, that he hears us, and he will give you everything you need. And more than that, we are not alone in the fight. Our position is secure. If we are in Christ, we have a new position. We are overcomers in him. Well, Jesus is about to start praying for his disciples. We'll get to that next week. But before we close this morning, I want you to know that it is a promise of God that joy will come out of your sorrow. That it is a promise of God that there is joy in answered prayer. And that God has you in his hands and you are secure in him. There is joy in the knowledge that Christ has overcome the world. That you don't have to overcome it. You just have to rest in him and his victory becomes your victory. And we need that in our marriages. We need that. In our homes, we need that in our schools, we need that in our city, we need that in our world. Our world needs to know that there is joy. Our world needs to know that there is transformation, that the pain won't always be painful if we have Christ. And you need to know this morning that there is joy to be found even when you're having a no good, horrible, terrible, very bad day. Let's receive that joy this morning by turning to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that in him we have everything we need. <clears throat> Lord, deliver us from the temptation of believing that what we need most is outside of Jesus. Deliver us from the temptation of believing that we can solve all of our own problems with a little more effort. Deliver us from thinking that we need to go and live perfect lives in order to experience the victory that is available only in surrender and submission 
in reception of your grace and your goodness. Lord, I pray that this season of Lent would have us with our hands open, that we would receive more of you, that we would get that joy, the joy of knowing that the hard thing we are facing right now, the painful thing, will not always be painful, but that one day we will ultimately look at you, Lord, and say, thank you for that difficulty for the way that you used it, and not just my life, not just the world, but for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would draw some people this morning out of their own stubborn paths into the way and the mission that you've called them to. And Lord, I pray that they would find their rest, they'd find their position in your son Jesus, and they would know that so long as they are in him, they have all of the resources that they need to have peace and joy in the midst of difficulty. For you told us that in this life we will experience trouble and trial and difficulty and sorrow, but to take heart, to have peace, for Jesus has overcome the world. We want to know that victory. We want to rest in that victory today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.